Hi, my name is Barton. Welcome to episode one of Bakita EHS uh, News. So my friend Damien and I and uh, another friend who's not here tonight, Kim, got together a few months ago and wanted to start a new EHS-oriented platform for professionals to get together and help in, help boost or enhance their careers. And so um, through that through that effort, Bakita was born. And, and so tonight, my friend Damien and I are going to record ourselves reviewing some current events in EHS, in the EHS world, and would love to hear your feedback or questions or even some clarifications about stuff that we might not know. So, so uh, before, before I get into the articles and the current events we want to go through, I'll give a, a quick intro to myself. Damien's going to do the same thing. Uh, if you have any other questions about myself or Damien, feel free to ask. We want to get to know you. We want you to get to know us. And we want to be friends forever. And ever. So, right. My name is Barton. Full name, Richard Barton Nielsen. I am a military brat. I was born and raised in Germany. Uh, I was born on an army base, but lived for most of my childhood near an Air Force Base, Ramstein Air Force Base, and didn't leave or didn't move from Germany until I graduated high school. Uh, my family's from Florida, so I went to school in Florida, got a bachelor's degree in microbiology. Um, you know, I, I was an avid soccer fan leaving Germany, so soccer has been a big part of my life. And I played German on German soccer teams. I played on my high school soccer team growing up. And then coming to the U.S., I continued to play soccer, and I have uh, actually continued playing soccer until a few years ago when I felt like I got too old and it wasn't as fun anymore. But uh, anyways, after finishing my bachelor's degree at University of Florida, I had been pre-med for the entire time I was there, but I didn't really know why I wanted to be pre-med. It was kind of a thing that had been driven into my head by my family. And at the time I was not ready to lose my 20s. So I wasn't dead set on doing it. I, I didn't complete an application process and I moved uh, because I'd lived in Europe my whole life. I moved to California because I wanted to do, I had really had two goals. One was to see the US, you know, see a lot of stuff I hadn't seen before and then also to do a ski season at a ski resort somewhere for one season. Get to go there, get a job, be a ski bum. And so I moved to California thinking that I would go up to Tahoe. And then I ultimately didn't end up doing a ski season that year. I, I moved to San Diego to spend the summer on the beach with an old friend of mine from, from Germany. It was really time to move on and do my ski season. And I'd connected with an old friend from high school in Colorado. So I moved out to Colorado and um, got a job at Breckenridge as a ski instructor, which was an amazing gig. And then after that, the person, the girl I was dating who was going to the Air Force Academy got stationed. She graduated and got stationed near Boston. So I moved to Boston, got a job my first job at Triumvirate Environmental, environmental services firm, 
which was my intro to EHS. I had never even thought I would do EHS before that, before that, because I was a microbiology major. All my experiences were doing research in labs in, at University of Florida. And so that's the type of job I was looking for, but Triumvirate had a environmental chemist position open, which sounded interesting. So I applied, got it. And I worked at Triumvirate for about eight years. And so during that eight years, I went from a field like lab packing, uh, field chemist to a supervisor into the consulting group after about four years and then was spent about four years in the consulting group and that's really where I got into EHS and I would I was uh, farmed out to you know clients doing more doing more on-site EHS like ongoing EHS versus projects from time to time I would do projects like doing uh, you know doing a, an audit or assessment do trainings but for the most part, I was on site at pharmaceutical companies. So I, I really started specializing in life sciences. Triumvirate's got the four niche model and I chose life sciences. And that's also coincidentally where I met Damien, uh, one of my best friends. So Triumvirate was a, a great place to socialize and meet people. We had lots of good times. But, you know, spending eight years there, I made a lot of good friends. So that was, this is all in the Boston area. And um, after spending my time in the consulting group for four years, I, you know, I really grown to love life sciences. And there were some great companies in the Boston area. And I got a job as a specialist at uh, Momenta. And Momenta is a primarily a generics, a complex generics manufacturer, uh, research and development manufacturer, um, but they also have some of their own novel compounds. But I've spent a few years there as a specialist, as a biosafety officer. Um, and then I had an opportunity after a few years to get a manager job at Infinity Pharmaceuticals, which was mostly a, an R&D pharmaceutical company and I was managing not only EHS but facilities which was an interest to me because I was trying to kind of grow the pie kind of grow my, my my experience I really really liked it um but then my wife you know my wife uh had an aspiration to go back to school become a clinical a microbiologist which means go get your PhD or get your MD. And she got into a PhD program at UC Irvine in California. And so we left uh, and I never thought I would be in Boston forever. So I thought it was a good opportunity to go. And, and I got a job as a manager at a pharmaceutical manufacturing facility in Irvine, which was a nice opportunity. And Marissa started her five-year PhD program at UC Irvine. So we were living on campus, back to the student life. I never thought I'd live on campus again, but I did. And I got great experience in a manufacturing setting, which I don't think I would have ever gotten if I'd stayed in Boston. So I, I was, you know, happy about that. It was very stressful, you know, with these manufacturing facilities are all 24 seven. It's a different type of safety. Lab safety with a bunch of PhDs running around is different than manufacturing safety, but uh, you know, the manufacturing labor force is different than a research labor force. And then after a few years, I got an opportunity at Teva Pharmaceuticals to lead their safety program. Not much different than where I was at PAR, 
uh, the first place I got to in, in Irvine. And at Teva, though, I had a, a bump up in, in um, title, and I got to be a part of the senior uh, leadership team. So I reported to the general manager and got to sit in on senior leadership team discussions around other stuff outside of EHS related to the, the business. And Teva was a little different also because at par, it was just manufacturing and shipping products somewhere else to be packaged and distributed. But at Teva, they went from raw materials all the way through to final packaging. And, um, and, and it was also um, a sterile manufacturing facility, which added a layer of complexity, but a lot more stress. I mean, the expectations at Teva were, were much higher. Uh, but still, it was, was a similar type of program. And then after um, about a year and a half there, my wife and I found out that she was going to get a position at uh, the University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston to finish her studies. So she had to do another two-year program. So ultimately, we ended up leaving, and I had to leave Teva. Um, right before leaving, not right before, but the last couple of years, we were there. I also enrolled in a, an MBA program. So I got my MBA at UCI at the same time my wife was getting her PhD. We both graduated exactly the same time. And so uh, the timing was perfect for us to move out to Texas, no more strings attached. Um, and here we are, I'm in Dickinson, Texas. I'm sure nobody knows where that is. You know where that is, Dan? It's, uh, it's between Galveston and Houston, so we're close to the uh, Gulf Coast. Uh, also, you know, COVID's happening, so I'm, I'm not working now. I, well, Bikita is, uh, has been a nice way for me to stay busy and keep my EHS skills sharp, but um, I'm staying home with our three-year-old because we're not comfortable putting him into daycare. I didn't have a job to begin with, so I didn't have to really transition anything. And my wife's going to finish her two-year program, and then hopefully we can move on to a normal life where we both are working, making some money. Um, I also have a two-year-old, or I also I have a, a three-year-old, and I have a new son on the way, expected in early February. So my stay-at-home daddy duties are going to extend probably through the end of her program. Um, which means I'll have plenty of time to spend on Bikita, Damien. Exciting. Another side project I'm doing is I'm working for a company called Safer Work as an advisor because they're, they're a technology firm. So they have developed some technology and they're looking to figure out how to penetrate into the life science market. And their technology is about digital displays for EHS and um, and smart displays that will detect whether or not you have the right PPE on or not when you walk into a, a restricted area, among other things. So I, uh, I've been helping them try to get their business organized, make sure that they're developing the right products that people would be interested in, doing customer surveys, stuff like that. So. And, and oh. now we're here on a podcast. First no. podcast. Okay. <laughs> this is, I, I got to be honest with you. I, I'm enjoying the break. You know, stay on daddy work doesn't really end till the, the sun, <laughs> my son goes down. Um, and so then I get to spend some time in the evening working on this kind of stuff. 
make a lot less money. A little bit of a downside, but it, I think I can. It's not about the money. It's about the it's contribution. About, it's about old. It's about how happy you are in the end. Feels good to try to build something, especially something I think people want. Right? I don't. Mm. You know, this little news podcast thing is a small snippet of what we want to do. So hopefully we can get the other stuff rolling also. Any questions about that, Damien? You just, you're like, yeah, I knew that about you. I forgot to mention I was your best man at your wedding, which was sometime in the 2000s. Which was uh, about one set of twin girls ago. Right. It had to be, that was 20... 14? Yeah, six six years. It was before I moved. So. Ages ago. So long. So how are you like in Texas? <sighs> Texas is all right. I mean, it, there's lots to do here. The problem is, is COVID's happening. My wife and I are taking it very sim very seriously, which means that we're not doing anything. Like she goes to work like normal. She's also super pregnant, so she's not comfortable doing anything. And um, we don't, because she's so pregnant, we don't want to risk my, myself or Bradford getting sick. So we, we don't go to playgrounds and play with other kids. It's frustrating because around here, it seems like nobody else cares. So no matter where you go, there's nobody wearing masks. Like when you go out to like parks and playgrounds and stuff. And so we don't feel comfortable letting Bradford play. And it's so stressful because we get there and all he asks us to do is go play. He's like, there's not that many kids. I'll just go swing. And I'm like, okay, go swing, but make sure you stay six feet away from your kids. And he's three, so he doesn't get that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like the, corona, the coronavirus only survives at a certain latitude and longitude. And it just so happens that Texas is just beyond that border, right? So that's why nobody in Texas wore masks. Yeah, that... I didn't know that. Thank God you enlightened me. And I, I saw that on Donald Trump's Twitter feed between, you know, latitude and longitude of Texas voting corruption. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he is a fun, fun person to read about. Um, yeah, yeah, along with mosquitoes. So like, we, we like the line is drawn right above us where there's no mosquitoes and below us there's mosquitoes 20 like all year long. Like I got bit today by a mosquito. It's, it's not even that hot out, but, and lizards, there's lizards everywhere. We're in the burbs, man. Lizard. Living where we are, we're, we're, there's farmland around us. The roads, like the main roads here are, are called farm roads. Um, it's the sticks, as my friend told me, who lives in Houston. <sighs> but it's all good. It's kind of nice because you get a lot more, a lot more for your money. Texas is hot. It's still like we have days here where we're in the 40s, and then we have day, like the next day after that we'll be in the 80s. Like right now we're in a weird spot. It gets pretty cold here, but it swings dramatically. Bradford would. He'd go outside and be like, I don't want to 
I don't want to stay out no, here. I want to go. Over. I want to go home, please. It's too hot. It's so hot. He said that yesterday. We were outside having a snack. It was sunny, and he was like, "It's too hot." <laughs> please, please, we go inside. I'm like, it's freaking November. But oh yeah, it gets hot down here. Not like where you are. I mean, it gets hot where you are, but like uh, yeah, not a tenth of the time. I think Pennsylvania is the most overcast um, state in the U.S. It's like the most cloudy days, I think, in the course of a year. I don't know. Is if that true? Fact, Are you just making that up? Um, I mean, I heard that somewhere. That <laughs> I feel like that's Washington. Isn't that Washington? It feels like that is the case, but... It's it's growing on me, just you know, just being sad and depressed all the time. Oh, but you have a beautiful family, two little girls. Yep, two twin girls. I guess a, a little about myself was uh, I was born in Massachusetts. I spent much of my childhood growing up in the middle of nowhere in upstate New York, near the Adirondack Mountains. Um, and I got two younger brothers. So I was the, the oldest of, of three. And, you know, you, you definitely spend a lot of time outdoors, kind of like making up things that kill time in the middle of nowhere, whether it's like making you know, up friends, <laughs> playing hide and seek, playing in the woods, you know, but yeah, my, my brothers and I are, are pretty close. Um, but once I had uh, finished high school, ended up moving to Erie, Pennsylvania to go to Mercyhurst College. And there I had studied biology. And, you know, the primary reason going there, you know, other than schooling was that, like, I got a scholarship to play lacrosse there. And, you know, at that point in time, it was a, a new team. Like, they had started, like, the year before, like, I was going to go there. So, you know, what really appealed to me was, you know, being a part of something and building something from the ground up, which is kind of what, you know, you and I are doing with, uh, with Paquita. So, that, I mean, that was, like, very appealing, being able to put your mark on it and, and grow it, like, the way that you think, you know, that at that point in time, it was like, you know, we wanted the team to go in this direction, right? And we were the ones kind of, like, leading the charge. So, you know, that's why I ended up, you know, selecting – Mercyhurst as opposed to some of the other schools I was looking at at that point in time. Um, so I'd gone to Mercyhurst, uh, played lacrosse there. You know, we had one or one of the the better Division II teams in the in the nation. And when I finished up there, graduated with a, a degree in biology. I ended up going back up to New York and doing some like wetland field work. And my brother and I actually worked together for Colorado State University on Fort Drum. 
doing wetland delineations, which was, you know, I would say the, the best job ever and the worst job ever. And, you know, it was really nice being outside, you know, kind wetland of. Wetland delineations was uh, like your marking territory within wetlands, like for yeah, tracking you would just, stuff? Yeah, you would just, we would go and, you know, select a, a uh, an area of land that we would end up surveying on a particular day and my brother and I actually worked together so you know we'd select the area and then we would end up hiking 10 to 15 miles a day doing like GIS plotting and uh, identifying wetlands for the government because um, they were doing a lot of like expansion on this military base and they needed to know if they were building if there's going to be any like impacted wetlands due to the building so um you know it was one of the i think at that point in time it was like one of the the larger gis projects in the in the nation um in terms of mapping you know the total square footage of the of the base so I ended up doing that for two years, and then um, my girlfriend and I, at that point in time, decided to move to Boston. So I still had a lot of family in Boston, uh, aunts, uncles, grandparents. So I moved up here, you know, not really having, you know, any sort of job kind of lined up. I just kind of packed things up and and moved to Boston you know, figured that I could have the the family network in place while I looked for a position somewhere and ended up finding a job uh, with Triumvirate. And, you know, that's where Bart and I had met. This is back in, it was 2006, maybe 2006, I think it was. It all uh, blends into me, but I can't. Yeah. So ended up. Early uh, 2000s. You know, working as uh, an environmental chemist, you know, a lot of the, the field work, hazardous waste determinations and packing chemicals and, you know, doing basic lab surveys and did that for a few years and then uh, moved into uh, an office position as a, like a technical service rep, which was basically like the customer client interaction for the field personnel and our clientele. And then ended up managing the technical services department for like our corporate operation and the operations in some of our branches, such as, you know, New York and Baltimore and Orlando. And I really enjoy that because I'm uh, like, I'm a, I'm a details person. Like I'm very uh, methodical and orderly with how I carry myself, you know, like the labels facing like a certain way in <laughs> in my cabinet, like the glasses in a you know in a specific yeah. cupboard. So you know I'm very uh, very into the details. So what I ended up like specializing in was um, you know like like chemical safety. Um, like working with clients on like regulatory compliance, like waste management. And, you know, after a few years in, in that position, uh, 
Trambra ended up opening a facility in Pennsylvania to recycle medical waste. And the way in which they were doing that is they were treating medical waste and turning it into plastic lumber or using it as a component in the production of plastic lumber. Um, right about that same time, you know, I had gotten married a few years before that, like my wife and I found out that she was pregnant with twins. And, you know, I immediately said, oh, shit. This is amazing how, how are we going to handle this? So we decided to, um, decided to, to, to move to Pittsburgh to take on an opportunity at this plant um, and move my wife and our six-week-old children, twin girls, down to Pittsburgh. And, uh, you know, that was beneficial because her family is from West Virginia. So they were an hour, hour and a half away to, from where we were. So, you know, they were able to help out with the kids. Right. Um, but again, you know, much like I had chosen to go to Mercyhurst and build like a lacrosse program there, I made a similar choice moving to Pittsburgh and building this facility in Pittsburgh, right? So when I moved down here, there was, you know, not much more than a dream and, you know, some pilot production that we had put in place at the plant. Um, you know, and, and today the, the plant's very successful. We've, you know, nailed down the, like the process and, uh, you know, it, it's it's kind of turned the corner from like a pilot plant to like a full production plant. And, you know, I was instrumental in in getting it to that point, you know, kind of, and I wanted this, to put my stamp on it as well. And this place takes medical waste and processes it, processes it in a way that deactivates it or disinfects it and then turns it into a product that you then kind of put back on the market, right? Yeah, it's exact, exactly what this plant does. Um, you know, they handle medical waste. Medical waste has got a large component of plastic to it. Um, so they bring in the medical waste. We have equipment installed, which is able to treat the medical waste that's got the plastic in it. And then we um, further process it after that in our plants to mix it with some other, you know, hard to recycle plastics and we make plastic lumber out of it. You know, we sell plastic lumber to Menards, Home Depot, a lot of uh, landscaping companies, the military, um, a lot of the like forming and shoring companies that do like construction, you know, if they're putting up buildings. And, uh, you know, it's been successful. So. Do you, you take know, waste from really like around the country or like, like, do you, cause when I was in California, I thought a lot about it, but of course, Trimer doesn't have, doesn't have really a presence that far West, but do you guys take waste from everywhere? Or is it really just re like, like well, locally I mean, or regionally? We could take it from everywhere. Uh, the, the reason, but we don't really get it from everywhere. Well, it doesn't it, make sense to ship it so far, right? Yeah, I mean, transportation 
is very costly. So to ship material from, let's say, California to the East Coast, you know, it's pretty cost prohibitive. You know, as much as people, you know, would like to be green or think sustainably about like what they're doing, um, you know, the, the dollars and cents still matters in terms of the choices that they're making and what they do with, you know, some of the excess product or scrap that they have. So um, most of the material that we get is from the Northeast. And that's primarily because of proximity to the plant. Nice. So that's where you're at. This is my so third foray into uh, building something. Right. So like I finished my MBA. I became, a, I wasn't, a, I was unemployed, finished my MBA, moved. And I was like, man, I just learned all this business stuff and paid way too much money to not do anything with it. I'm not working. And so I was like, we should try to build something. And Damien on like one of our Bostonian happy hour calls said, man, I really need to work for myself. And so I swear, like when you said that, I was like, we, we're, we should talk about starting our own company because why not? There's way too many people succeeding who don't have better credentials than us. Like they're not more experienced than us. Like I feel like you come up with a good idea, you put some good effort into it, you can turn it into a successful business. So I, I really think that that's something we can do. Yeah, and you know, it's most people are like risk averse, right? You know, nobody wants to to take a chance and you know not be successful and that's i think primarily why most people don't try and start their own businesses um you know but you gotta you gotta be willing to take a risk you gotta you know not want to fail but like be okay with failure because you're using it as like a learning experience to be successful the next time and that's that's how you learn too. I, I mean, I imagine this is going to be a walk in the park, and it's going to require work. So, yeah, we got to learn one way or another. Nobody does it perfectly from the beginning. So, well, thank you. That I, I really enjoyed learning all that about you, even though I think I knew most of that about you. <laughs> um. So let's uh, let's jump into some articles. So we we have a few articles to talk about, uh, and you know, so what this the intention of this these recordings is to um, talk about current events. You know, we might ideally we'll have stuff that that recently happened, but we might have stuff that's in the recent past, meaning not within the last week. Maybe it's within the last year. In some case, maybe a couple years if it's relevant. We want to talk about it. Um, you know, these are our own opinions. We're going to be citing sources that we find from other websites or news organizations. So we will do our best to identify where those are coming from. We're not coming up with our own content. We're just regurgitating it with our own special flavor. Might be a bland flavor at times. I'm the bland one. Damien's usually the fun one. So, um, so you know... <laughs> I don't want to get political, 
it might swing a little bit that way just because we're going to talk about OSHA and OSHA is obviously run at this point by Donald Trump. And so I, you know, we're, I want to bring up some stuff because they're a great resource for safety information. Obviously we, the U S is, is one of the best nations with regulatory, um, um, compliance around making sure that workers are protected, that we have the right safety programs in place. And so it is a good resource, but if we see something that is a, uh, that is lacking, I'm not going to hesitate to call it out. And so what I thought would be a good way to start is, I don't, and I'm not sure people know about this, but OSHA's website has a OSHA COVID tip of the day. And you can go there and look at it and you can sign up for it and it'll just email you the tip of the day. And I promise you, if you're an EHS professional, you're not going to think that these tips are uh, really that enlightening. Um, but hey, if, if you're not like a seasoned professional and you're looking for something to talk about at work, these are great ideas to bring up during a safety moment and a meeting. If you have to start a meeting with, uh, with some kind of a safety moment or or safety suggestion, I suppose these could be great. So I'm gonna, I wanna run through them. And Damien, I want you to tell me what you think about these. I'll see what I can do. So I, I, I only have these up to the 20th. So on, on November 20th, the OSHA tip 228, OSHA protects young workers who raise safety concerns. Does that sound weird to you? Like, I mean, I think of the, I think because I saw an article from OSHA or from somewhere about how how young workers might be being exploited right now because of COVID working conditions. 